Today we begin a new sermon series on the Lord's Prayer. It's called Praying as if No One's Looking. And it gets its title from the context in which Jesus teaches his disciples to pray in Matthew's Gospel. So we're going to begin reading with Matthew chapter 6, verse 1. Hear the word of God. Beware of practicing your piety before others so they see you. For then you will have no reward from your Father in heaven. So, whenever you give alms, do not sound a trumpet before you as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets, so that they may be praised by others. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward. But when you give alms, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, so that your alms may be done in secret. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. And whenever you pray, do not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners so that they may be seen by others. Truly, I tell you, they've received their reward. But whenever you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your Father who is in secret. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. When you are praying, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think they'll be heard because of their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask. Pray then in this way. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Let us pray. Gracious God, may the words that I speak and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our rock and redeemer. Amen. So, I don't know if you know, River Road Presbyterian Church sponsors a a Boy Scout troop. Did you know this? A lot of you probably knew this. And I'm going to be back here this afternoon uh, for an Eagle Scout ceremony. And as a part of that, I was thinking about the Scout Law, which is actually really a list of virtues. It's, uh, it's a list of virtues. A Scout is trustworthy, loyal, helpful, friendly, courteous, kind, obedient, cheerful, thrifty, brave, clean, and reverent. Reverent. Today I want to talk about reverence. Unlike humility, which is kind of unique to Christianity and grows right out of the story of Jesus who gave himself for the sins of the world and was a servant, reverence is a virtue. Humility appears on no list of virtues in the ancient world anywhere until Christianity comes along. It's, it's kind of unique to Christianity and it grows out of our story. Reverence, on the other hand, appears on just about everybody's list of virtues. It doesn't matter which culture, which religion, which society. Reverence is everywhere. The Greeks thought reverence was an important personal and also communal virtue, that we needed to revere the right things. They taught that leaders that didn't possess reverence, that is a a sense that there's something more important and a cause that's greater than themselves and greater than the people they led. They didn't know that. Those leaders were going to be dangerous. Reverence is the virtue that prevented 
leaders from thinking they are and acting like they're gods. And so power without reverence, they thought, was just a catastrophe. Just a catastrophe. No uh, culture values humility, but every culture, every religion, every society values reverence. In the Confucian vision of life, in an ordered society, you need to have reverence for your place in things, for the society to work. You need to revere your elders, the, the ones that have gone before you. You revere the ancestors. You revere your elders. You revere, revere the ones who are above you in this ordered chain of being, kind of, that goes all the way up to the heavens. It's essential to know your place in things, to be reverent. Even emperors are supposed to be reverent of something that's higher in the heavens. Every culture, every religion, every society values reverence. Even our own irreverent culture. And you may say, Ray, you obviously don't watch South Park. <laughs> uh, I do watch South Park. Uh, and uh, to which I would say is that the irreverence and the ridicule on South Park is funny because it's satire. And satire is designed to puncture our illusions about what's really, what is worth revering, what's worthy of us. And the other thing satire does is it says uh, that we aren't really, uh, the things we claim to be revering aren't really driving the bus. That is, it's trying to poke, trying to point out hypocrisy. Like all satire, it does this in the service of something that the satirist thinks is better. You may not think it's better, but the satirist does. Reverence is a virtue in every society for every person. What did Bob Dylan sing? You've got to serve somebody, some of you. I'm showing my age here. Um, he said that because we do. We have to have an ordered life. We have to have our priorities in order to live a functional life. You can't function if you revere all things as if everything's all the same. You've got to have some sense of what's centrally important. Now, the Bible often talks about reverence in terms of the fear of the Lord. The fear of the Lord. And this is a phrase that often gets misunderstood I remember uh, in a having a conversation about a baptismal service that you may have heard me pray this when I baptize uh, kids and adults, you know, give them the spirit of the fear of the Lord. And I remember having a conversation in staff meeting once in a different church and uh, the associate pastor was saying, you got to take that out because everybody thinks uh, you're supposed to cower like that. And that's, that's not, it's frequently misunderstood, the fear of the Lord. What are we talking about? Well, what we're not talking about is that God's going to zap you if you get out of line. That's not reverence. That sort of fear is more concerned about what happens to me if I get caught. It's not concerned at all about the glory of God, honoring God. I mean, think of a kid, I don't know, uh, a kid who's like, who, who just, you know, like Ariel in uh, Little Mermaid. Some of you have seen this film. Little Mermaid. It's a great film. And, and, and she does something her dad doesn't want, and if dad finds out, he's going to kill me, right? Well, you know, if dad doesn't find out, I'm fine. There's this, you know, that can mean a couple of things. Dad's going to kill me. It can mean um, that he's going to just punish me. 
which it's just all about me. But there can also be the fear of the Lord or the fear of the Father that is, it would kill him if he knew I did this because he'd be so disappointed. That is the fear of the Lord. Reverence begins with a deep understanding of human limitations. It is a sense of awe in the presence of something that is greater. And that greater can be God, it can be life, it can be the amazing presence of another human being. It can be awe and respect for truth or for justice. When people exceed their limitations, when they don't honor, when they're irreverent, when they'll seek to control things that they cannot and should not control, and what we call that is hubris, pride, and it always leads to disaster. For reverence to be a virtue, a true virtue, it's not just reverence in general. You've got to have reverence for the right things. You've got to have reverence for the right... You've got to know what's worthy. Because if you revere the wrong thing, it can lead to catastrophe. This past week, we had the one-year anniversary of the invasion of Ukraine. And why did he do it? Well, he told us to... He was trying to honor the glory of Russia, the Russian Empire. He, the Financial Times had an article this week on the anniversary and that he was seeking to honor the memory of Ivan III, also known as Ivan the Terrible, not by his family, uh, P- Peter the Great and Catherine the Great. And Putin claims even that he's defending the Orthodox faith against the secular West, forgetting that the Orthodox are themselves or the Ukrainians are themselves Orthodox, and neglecting to note that the Orthodox community has pretty much all unanimously condemned the invasion. Reverence is a virtue when we revere the right things. When we revere the right things. And here is where Jesus' instruction in his prayer gets interesting. Jesus begins his prayer Our Father who art in heaven, there's the address. The first petition, the first request, the first prayer request in this prayer is, hallowed be your name. May your name be holy. The first person that we pray for is not ourselves. It's we're praying for God. But here's the thing. This prayer is not for God's benefit, Now, God, make your name holy. Because God has no need to make God's name holy. Because God is holy. God's name is holy. Already. God doesn't need you to pray, make your name holy, so that God will like, oh, yeah, I hadn't really thought about that. I think I'll make my name holy. That is not how this prayer works. This prayer is for our benefit to remind us that God is holy to remind us that we are fully capable of misusing God's name. And we can misuse God's name by swearing, but more often we misuse God's name by attaching God's names to things that are unworthy of God. Like crusades, 
our agendas, maybe in our family, well, or maybe political agendas. Or remember Jesus' criticism of the people who are praying in our lesson. This is the context for when Jesus teaches his disciples how to pray. He's talking about religious people who are praying on the street corners. They're praying in public, and they make sure that everybody can see them and hear them. Why? It's because they're trying to make a name for themselves. So that when people walk by, they'll say, that Ray Roberts prays all the time. He must be really pious. He's, he's a really good guy. He's really holy. He's a true believer. You'll think well of him because he's praying all the time on the corner. And if I pray all the time on the corner, people will say, well, he's reverent. He must be honest. This will be good for business. This will be good for my career. Jesus cuts through the hypocrisy that can attach itself whenever we take on the mantle of religion in public. This is, by the way, is a professional temptation of, you know, every pastor faces. By praying this prayer, we are reminded from the very start of our prayer that God is holy. We are called to be attentive to God's honor as we pray, hallowed be thy name. And this sets the tone for everything else that is to follow. And in a world where we are continually tempted to revere the wrong things, it reminds us that God alone is holy. Praying this prayer is a little spiritual exercise to wean us from the idolatries of the world, from making something absolute into God in which every other thing must serve. And it isn't God. The way Putin made the glory of Russia absolute and had no room for the autonomy of another nation. It reminds us that we appropriately revere our family and our work community and our church as we see these things serve the glory of God which is revealed in Jesus Christ God's loving creative redeeming purpose for all things because God is the God of all things and God is holy and to the extent that we acknowledge and help all these things serve the living God, God's name is made holy in all the earth. Let us pray. Lord our God, you are holy, you are majestic and other you created all that is, and the immensity of the universe astounds us. We cannot even begin to grasp it. The wonder of life is, is beyond our capacity to know and understand and fathom. And your love revealed in Jesus Christ is so great that you gave your only Son. Lord, May we always remember that your name is holy. For we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.